0: You're listening to audio from Mercy Hill Church of Port Austin. To learn more about us, you can visit mercyhillpa.org. Have you ever thought about the fact that it is extremely creepy to sing the song from an outsider to sing the song, Are You Washed in the Blood? Have you ever thought about that? Like I want you to imagine being a non-Christian, walking into church maybe for the first time, and you hear all these people saying, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Like, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, I'm out, right? Like, I don't know what this place is, but I'm out of here. Or or maybe you're scrolling through Facebook and you're like, okay, Mercy Hill's live. I'll, I'll check this out, right? And you click it and it's like, there is a fountain filled with blood. What in the world is going on, right? And I mean, it's kind of funny if you think about it. And we don't often think about it, but um, that is just kind of a thing in Christianity. We're kind of obsessed with blood. And, and I was, I was uh, listening to... Um, lectures on Hebrews and the, and the professor brought this out a few weeks ago and I was just laughing so hard because I'm like, I've been singing these songs my whole life and I never thought about like an outsider listening to that and being like, what is going on? Um, and really that's what our passage is all about today. It's about blood. It's about sacrifices. And we read it earlier and it was like, man, everything's purified with blood. What is going on? Why are Christians so into this blood stuff? And the answer is in our, our passage today in verse 22 It says, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In other words, sin is serious. Sin brings death. Sin is not a small thing. Sin is cosmic rebellion against the perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly loving, and perfectly joyful King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So sin is serious. It it deserves death. It deserves bloodshed. And there's only one death, only one person's blood that can cleanse us from our sins. And that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so we're going to keep singing about the blood at Mercy Hill Church. We're going to keep rejoicing about the blood. We're fine with people thinking that we're creepy. I apologize if you're watching and you're like, this just made me even more creeped out. Um, we, we're we apologize for that, but we don't care because frankly, Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and death. And it's his blood that cleanses us from our sins. And makes us a child of God, brings us into God's family, gives us a new life, gives us a new purpose, gives us a new eternity because of the blood. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what the passage is all about today. We're in a section of Hebrews where the author is kind of regularly moving between four key themes. And um, I mentioned them a few weeks ago, but in Jesus, we have a better priest. We have a better covenant, we have a better temple, and we have a better sacrifice in Old Testament Judaism. And if you remember in in this, this author who he's writing to is a group of Christians who used to be Jews, most of them, and they converted to Christianity and, and they didn't see it as a new thing or a new religion. They saw it as the fulfillment of what old Testament Judaism pointed to, but man, once they got there and they had the pressure from outside and from inside and, and the pressure from coworkers and from people around and the government was starting to get a little bit hot towards Christianity, they were wondering, is this worth it? Should I stick it out? Should I stay with Jesus or should I just go back to what's comfortable? And so the challenge in Hebrews over and over and over again is Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. There is nowhere else to go. And again, I don't think anyone here is considering, man, I might go back to Judaism or I might try out. I don't think anyone here is, is considering that, but consider for a moment, what are you looking to, to maybe think, maybe this would be better than Jesus. And yeah, maybe this church stuff, maybe that's just not for me, that Bible stuff, maybe, maybe that's just not for me. And maybe I'll go over here and just hear this message loud and clear that Jesus is greater, that only Jesus can satisfy. And so stick with Jesus. That's the message of Hebrews. And we've already seen that Jesus is a better priest who brings a better covenant. And provides a better temple so we've already seen three of those key four themes and today we're looking at the fact that jesus offers a better sacrifice now i've mentioned several times before that the author does not move through these themes in this perfectly linear fashion like like at least like i would like him to right like he's kind of just all over the place and and, and he'll touch on one and then he'll go back to another and then he'll go back to another and so it was kind of hard for me to outline this and and, and preach on it Um, But you could just look at chapters 7 through 10 as this braid, this strong braid made up of these four strong cords, and it it gives us confidence to hold on to Jesus, to persevere. And, And so taking the fact that he's our better priest and that he offers a better covenant and that he offers a better sacrifice and that he has a better temple, all those things together make up four really strong reasons why Jesus is greater and why we stick with Jesus. He wants to hammer this into our minds, and that's why I keep saying it. And so I'm going to keep hammering it into our minds today. We have a better priest, a better covenant, a better temple, and a better sacrifice. And if you missed any of those messages, you can check them out on the website. They're all there. And I think they're actually labeled that. Better priest, better covenant, better temple. And today is better sacrifice. And to illustrate these themes and how they kind of weave in and out, we're going to read 11 through 14 right now. I will have them up on the screen for you. And this, we did cover this passage last time, but I just want to kind of show you as we read through this, how he does this. Okay. And so in 11, it says this, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, there's our theme of better priests, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. There's our theme of better temple. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. There's our theme a better sacrifice. And then all of these truths lead us to the better results we see in verse 13. Verse 13 says, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, all those things in the Old Testament, if, if those things sanctify for the purification of the flesh, man, how much more Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How awesome is that? Now, I know I applied this last time, but how incredible is this? That our guilty consciences can be cleansed. Like there's nothing worse in this life than the, than the guilty conscience. The fact that we know that we're guilty, that we know things about ourselves that maybe no one else knows about ourselves. Maybe you have a past. Maybe you have skeletons in the closet. And, and that's terrifying to think about a guilty conscience. It weighs us down. It, it takes a life out of us. And then to consider that you've got to go before a holy God and give an account for that guilt and that sin. That is absolutely terrifying. But through Jesus Christ. He does what nothing else can do. That religion can't do. That good works can't do. That trying to clean yourself up can't do. Through Jesus Christ, our consciences can be cleansed. You understand that? That you've been free from the crushing burden of sin and guilt. That you've been free to worship and serve the living God without fear. To love him. To love others. To spread a passion for his glory by making disciples here in Port Austin and beyond. That's all available because of Jesus. Then he gets into the theme of the better covenant in verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, therefore, so therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus offered this better sacrifice in this better temple, he is the mediator of a new covenant or a better covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance, eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, when you think of a mediator, you think of someone who's a go-between. Right. They kind of they try to find common ground between opposing parties and they try to make a way for those opposing parties to maybe have reconciliation. That might be one of the roles of a mediator. And the problem is for us is that guilty sinners, we don't have any common ground with a holy God like none. Absolutely none whatsoever. And so you're not going to find any common ground between us and God. It's just not going to happen. And so Jesus had to do something that no other mediator has had to do. He actually had to take our sin upon himself and sacrifice himself so that we could be free. He paid the penalty for our rebellion and our treason. He satisfied the justice of God on our behalf. And that's the only way for us to enter this relationship with God and receive this promised eternal inheritance. He elaborates more on this in 16 and 17. If you look at verse 16, it says, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established for a will takes effect only at death since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive in summary it was christ's death that was necessary for the new covenant to be established between us and god that's the only way it could happen and now in verse 18 what he's going to do so that was kind of all him again touching on those themes you know just just reminding us again of all those themes you know better temple better covenant better priest better sacrifice now he's really going to focus in on um, the better sacrifice that Jesus offered. In verse 18, he says, therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And again, this is where we see that obsession with blood. Okay. So look look at all the blood here. I mean, look at this in verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled it both itself, both the book itself and on all the people. I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. I actually chose that for our Old Testament reading and without any context, you would have just been like, what? In the Old Testament, it literally is like, Moses takes this blood and he sprinkles it. And then he's like throwing it at the people. It actually says he threw it at the people. And I'm like, maybe we'll do Isaiah 53. It's a little bit, you know, easier to understand without this context. But what is going on here? Like, what is with all the blood? In verse 20, he says this, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. So again, what is going on here? Well, as we already said in the introduction, verse 22, because without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's not possible. In other words, as we said earlier, sin is serious. Sin brings death. Sin is not a small thing sin is cosmic rebellion against the perfectly holy and just judge of all the earth and the only way sin can be satisfied is not by sweeping it under the rug not by saying okay maybe man maybe i'll just try to be a good person and if my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff you know maybe god will see me and he'll just kind of let me in it's not how it works because your bad stuff still has to be punished and so that's where we came up with the crazy idea that there's this thing called purgatory which you can't find anywhere in the bible But it's this idea that, well, because we still got this bad stuff, maybe we'll just be purged for a while of our bad stuff. Like we'll just burn for a little while and then maybe got, no, like that's just not how it works. It'll never work that way. The only way for forgiveness to happen is through the shedding of blood. And the crazy part is our own blood can't be enough. It has to be the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's why the Old Testament was full of blood. To point to the greatest sacrifice in the climax of history. When the Son of God would take our sins upon himself and shed his blood for our sins. That's what's going on with all the blood. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. In verse 23, we see our key transition from the sacrifices of the old covenant to the better sacrifice of the new. Look at 23. It says, Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. So what is he saying? He's saying, that's why it was so important that all these old Testament rituals were purified with blood because it was pointing to this need of cleansing, but the heavenly things themselves, they need to be cleansed with, look at those words, better sacrifices than these. And that's, that's the whole sermon today. Better sacrifices. The, the earthly things were purified with animal sacrifices. But those sacrifices were always meant to point to the true and better sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They were a shadow. He is the substance. They were mere animals. He is the infinite and immeasurably valuable son of God. Jesus is a better sacrifice. And so in the remaining verses, besides the obvious point, I'm not even going to touch on this because it's just kind of implied in the passage. The obvious point that Jesus is a better sacrifice because he's the son of God, not just an animal. Right, that's like kind of a given, right? He's the infinitely valuable son of God. But besides those, there's two specific reasons that the author gives us for why Jesus is a better sacrifice. And the first one is this, it wasn't earthly, but heavenly. It wasn't earthly, but heavenly. So not earthly, but heavenly. Look at verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, Now, to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now, we touched on this a little bit with the theme a few weeks ago of a better temple. He didn't just go into a physical place to offer the sacrifice, he actually went into what all those physical places represented. He went into the very presence of God. And Christ did not offer an animal sacrifice in some earthly temple made with hands. The earthly temple was just a copy of the true presence of God in heaven. And animal sacrifices were just a foreshadow of the true sacrifice to come. These were earthly pictures, pointers, shadows, but the substance was always in heaven. We said last time that when you think of a temple, you should think of it as a place where God and humanity meet. And so earthly temples represent the presence of God. But again, Christ didn't go into a representation of this presence, right? He didn't go into an earthly temple. He offered himself, but where did he offer it? It says in heaven itself, in the presence of God on our behalf. In other words, Christ went to the place that every other temple represented the actual presence of God. That's so awesome. So we saw this a few weeks ago and we applied it this way. We said when Jesus did this, what he did is he actually unlocked worship for us so that it doesn't have to happen in a physical place, in a physical location like it did in the Old Testament. We're worshiping here in Port Austin, Michigan. Like how cool is that? I sometimes think when I'm praying about this church, I think of all those years that this building was just empty, and I just think of the wind blowing and the weeds growing, and and I just think of this just empty place. And now on Sundays, it's full of the white hot worship of Jesus. How awesome is that? Well, that is all God. That is all God. But but right here, we're worshiping here because Jesus unlocked that for us. And we don't just have to worship here. We worship tomorrow in our cars. We worship in our houses. We worship in our prayer closets. We worship while we walk. We can worship all around the world in spirit and in truth because Jesus unlocked that physical worship by going into the true temple, into the presence of God, and offering a sacrifice for the sins of his people. And so that's an awesome application, but as I was chewing on this this week, I'm like, "Okay, God, I already applied that. What do I do? Now, what's maybe another application?" And he just brought this to my mind, and I was just so excited. I can't wait to share it with you. I'm sure you've heard it before, but when someone in our country loses in the highest court of a state, what's their option? Well, they can, they can have the option of appealing to the Supreme Court, right? And this is the highest court in the land. Well, why do they do this? Because if this court, if the Supreme Court says they are free, no other judge, jury, or court could say otherwise. Now, here's the awesome truth about Jesus appearing in the presence of God on our behalf. This isn't just the highest court in a state or in a country, It's the highest court in all the universe. And on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus, we appear into this courtroom before God, the judge, who doesn't sweep sin under the rug, and he looks at us because of Jesus. And he says, not guilty. He says, free. He says, righteous in my holy sight. Because of Jesus. Do you understand what this means? That in the highest court in all of the universe, before the highest judge who could ever be, We are declared free and righteous, no longer guilty. And do you understand what this means? I I love how Paul rejoices in this in Romans 8. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then listen to this question. He just goes on this rant of questions. He says, and who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You see the logic? He's saying if God says we're just, if the highest judge in the highest court of all the universe says this person is just in my sight, they are righteous, they are holy, they are sinless in my sight, if God says this, who can lay any charge against us? Our own guilty consciences can't lay a charge against us. God, who is much bigger than your conscience and your past and your brokenness, says this person is just in my sight. And I'm the judge of all the earth. And what I say goes and nobody can say anything otherwise. And so Paul is just like losing his mind. He's like, who can lay any charge against us? God says that we're just. God says that we're righteous. And so then he continues in 34. He says, and who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then he goes to 35, which we all know this verse and it's so awesome. But in the context of this, He says, now who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things that come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you see the application? Jesus' sacrifice, it wasn't earthly, it was heavenly. He went to the highest court before the highest judge. And he offered his sacrifice on your behalf, if you're a believer today. Do Do you understand that? Like you specifically, not just this blanket thing, like you were in his mind. And he offered the sacrifice before the God, the judge of all the earth. And now because of our faith in him, we're declared Righteous in his sight. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So the first reason the sacrifice of Jesus was better because it wasn't offered in an earthly temple, but a heavenly one. The sacrifice Jesus offered was not earthly, but heavenly. And secondly, the sacrifice Jesus offered was not repeatedly, but finally. Not repeatedly, but finally. Look at verse 25. It says, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the earthly high priest, we've talked about this before in the past in Hebrews, the earthly high priest had to enter sacrifices year after year. It was this repeated thing. Year after year, he'd bring these sacrifices and and they were a pointer of the true sacrifice to come. And he would offer blood that wasn't his own because he wasn't righteous. So he would offer blood that wasn't his own as a repeated reminder of sin. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so there's this bloody ritual every year. And not just every year, that was the day of atonement. There, was, there were sacrifices all the time. And there's millions and millions of sacrifices just repeatedly pointing to our need for a greater sacrifice. And it seemed to have no end. But did you see what the passage says when Christ appeared? At the end of the ages, you can see that at the climax of the ages, at the climax of all history, when Christ appeared, he came as the true and better priest, And offered a true and better sacrifice himself, blood that was his own, to put away sin once and for all. And man, I've been saying this for the last like month of Hebrew sermons. I've been saying it is finished, right? We just keep saying that, and I hope you're not bored of it. Man, I hope we don't ever get bored of the fact that Jesus said, It is finished. It's paid in full. When he said that, he was making an eternal declaration. It's not one that changes, it's not one that gets old or dusty. All of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your brokenness, past, present, and future has been paid for once and for all. The spotless Son of God has paid the eternal price for your rebellion, and no other sacrifice is needed. The sacrifice was final, and all of your sin has been fully, freely, and forever forgiven. So when Satan tempts you to despair, And tells you of the guilt within. Upwards you look and see him there who made an end to all your sin. He made an end to it. All of it. And he said, it is finished. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is Jesus a better sacrifice than animals because he's the infinite and immeasurably valuable son of God, but also because his sacrifice was heavenly, not earthly, and his sacrifice was finally, not repeatedly. And I love how this passage ends. If you look at verse 27, it says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Now, let me just pause here for a moment and just ask the question, are you ready for this judgment? And you can see i'm pretty fired up about the fact that i'm forgiven that i don't have to worry about this judgment but you could be too if you're listening online and you never trusted christ you could be forgiven today and so are you ready for this judgment because there's a lot of mites in life right we talk about this all the time you might get that job it might rain your team might win there's a lot of mites but there's one thing that's certain you will face judgment You will give an account to your maker for the life that you lived. And that's a terrifying thought to consider if you're not in Christ this morning. Are you ready for this judgment? Have you cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus? Have you believed that he died and rose again for you? Have you hidden yourself in his righteousness? Have you been cleansed by his blood? That's the only way through this judgment. Faith in Christ alone. Continue. And it is just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, have been offered once to bear the sins of many, listen to this, I love this, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus this morning? Man, I know I am. And he's coming back, he's going to save us. We're eagerly waiting, and he's coming. He's coming again. I love how Dennis Johnson puts this. He says, Just as every human faces two milestones, so does Christ. Every human dies once and afterward faces judgment. Christ died once for other sins and afterward will return to save us. You could summarize this little passage with the word appear. If you look at verse 26, it says that Christ appeared. And what did he do? He appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then verse 28, it says that Christ will appear. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In other words, we remember that Christ has appeared and we rejoice that he will appear again. And that's what I want to leave you with today. Remember and rejoice. We remember and rejoice that Jesus appeared and made an end to all of our sin. That we are righteous before the highest judge in the highest court. That we are forgiven and set free to live with and enjoy God forever. We also remember and rejoice that Jesus will appear again. He has appeared. He will appear. I want that to just ring in your ears all week long. He has appeared. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I can live free. I don't have to live in this guilt and this shame. He has appeared and he will appear. He's coming back. And so when the the brokenness of this world starts to crowd in on you and you feel it, you feel the sting of death, you feel the pain, you feel the sickness, you feel the hurt. He's coming again. He will appear again to rescue us from this sin-cursed world, to wipe every tear from our eyes, to make all sad things untrue, and to welcome us into eternal bliss with himself forever. Remember that Jesus has appeared, and rejoice that Jesus will appear again. We look back to Christ, who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God And we look forward to our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Remember that Jesus has appeared. Rejoice that Jesus will appear again. Remember and rejoice.